Welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. All right, so... Dr. Sula Wingassen is a health psychologist and senior cognitive behavioral therapist, mainly working with people who suffer from long-term physical symptoms. So Sula, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I mean, you're a psychologist and yet you're working with lots of physical health conditions like IBS, IBD, pelvic pain, and even UTIs. Can you explain how your work works with our body, mind, soul connection? Yeah, absolutely. I guess, I mean, it's an area I'm quite passionate about because I think when people have ongoing physical health problems, their emphasis, understandably and intuitively, is on trying to find the physiological kind of underpinnings, what went wrong so that you're now experiencing symptoms. But the kind of downfall of this approach is that people expend lots of energy essentially battling a lot of the time with the healthcare system um, which often doesn't come up with straightforward answers and straightforward treatment approaches and the result of this is people get incredibly anxious incredibly low um, it has a huge impact on their life and so the part that's neglected is the emotional burden of having a long-term health condition and if we think about how that interacts with having the health condition whatever it might be um, we know that there's a huge interaction with how we're feeling emotionally and how our body is functioning so just on a very kind of broad level you know our central nervous system is fed into by our psychological experiences whether that's emotions feeling anxious feeling unsafe that's going to cause the the secretion um, of lots of different stress hormones, which then has an impact on how different organ systems are functioning. It's going to have an impact on where our attentional focus is going, which is going to have an impact on, you know, how much we experience pain, for example. Um, And we know from things like placebo and nocebo research, when we are expecting things to work or not work, that has a bearing on um, the actual, you know, physiological outcome. So to neglect that psychological side is to neglect a fundamental part of, you know, our physical health also. Wow. So what I really hear you saying is that there is a psychological impact of having the condition that you have. And actually our healthcare system makes it, harder which then has an additional impact of having the condition as well but what you're also really speaking to as well is that you know our psychological experience is directly impacting our physiological function and so there's the mind-body connection both in terms of the disease process itself Mm -hmm. and also the impact of having a disease and having a chronic illness And on top of that, navigating a healthcare system, which is really difficult to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the way that I work is kind of if we is from a biopsychosocial perspective. So by coming to a health psychologist, you're you're not coming to say, you know, um, 
my symptoms are all caused by psychological factors, quote unquote. You're coming to honor that part of the, the puzzle because if we if we do understand health to be a bit a complex picture of the biological, you know, the physiological um, factors involved, and there might be many, which is partly, you know, part of the frustration when trying to find answers for health. It might be that there's a genetic component, there might be, you know, a particular infectious component that was there, that's no longer there, or is still there, but, you know, hard to find. You know, there's so many different physiological components within that biological sphere. And then if we also, what we're talking about with the healthcare system, acknowledge that social component. So yeah, the interaction with the healthcare system, how that leaves you feeling, how that impacts on um, your health outcomes. So, you know, thinking about diagnostic delays, how does that physiologically impact on the health condition itself, for example, but also the stress that comes with trying to advocate for yourself in a system and how that then, you know, physiologically impacts via the psychological experience. And so I suppose what I'm helping people navigate is the the psychological and the social um, experiences and uh, components of their health condition and with a view of identifying what those are, making sense of them, clarifying, you know, exactly how they're feeding into the physical experience we can then improve the health experience overall, whether that, and that's going to look different for different health issues. So for some health issues, we know that targeting some of these aspects can improve symptom severity in chronic pain, in irritable bowel syndrome, even in inflammatory bowel disease um, to some degree. And for others, it might be that we're alleviating some of the symptom-related anxiety and reducing the impairment on functioning, which then will improve the, the primarily the psychological experience, like in multiple sclerosis, for example. Um, so the outcomes are going to look different for different health issues. But what we see, no matter what we're targeting, is that this very real interaction um, that needs to be acknowledged and, and worked with. One of your specialties, as you've said, is, is IBS. And this is a condition that I see a lot of people present with, actually. What, what does our audience need to know sort of right now about IBS and CBT to help them get a quick win? Mm. So I think, first of all, understanding um, irritable bowel syndrome as a biopsychosocial condition. So there's been so many research papers, studies done now that really establish it as a biopsychosocial um, condition. And what that means is there will be, you know, the physiological component, which again can look different for different people. For some people, IBS might have started after a bout of gastroenteritis. For some people, it might have been after an extended period of traveling where their, you know, their diet and their routine was all top, you know, topsy-turvy. But usually what we find is there is an interaction again at the onset where the symptoms start for whatever reason, whatever physiological reasons. And then there is also the, the psychological experience of those symptoms, whether that's, you know, stress because you have to miss work or worry about what the symptoms are, complex diagnostic processes. And then there's the social experience. And again, just thinking about bowel symptoms, there's a lot of taboo, particularly, you know, in the UK around kind of toileting and then that might feed into fear of symptoms, embarrassment. Um, there might be, uh, yeah, financial repercussions if you are having to take time off work. So working with IBS using cognitive behavioral therapy is to understand 
IBS as this biopsychosocial condition. So the first thing that we start with to get quick wins is more of the behavioral stuff. And usually what I find really commonly is people have made, again, intuitive connections between things that they've eaten and their symptoms. But the the process by which they've done this might be slightly incorrect and faulty. So for example, if you've eaten a piece of cheese and then 10 minutes later you're having symptoms, it's probably not to do with that cheese, but just the process of your digestive system being fired up, for example, because you've eaten. And so we can misinterpret that as, oh, cheese is um, bad or going to cause me symptoms. We can get fearful around food and that can quickly generalize out. And so that fear around food can massively play into um into IBS symptoms itself. So one of the first things that we do in uh, in the CBT protocol is get a bit of a broader understanding of, of what things are involved in um, symptom maintenance. And so we look at not the specific foods, but when you're eating, what times of day, what does that look like over the course of a week? And what meal size you're having? So, you know, small, medium or large, say. And we also look at, you know, how that corresponds with symptoms. So you might be more prone to diarrhea or constipation and then, you know, your your measure of pain or abdominal discomfort. And then we also measure stress. So we look at these kind of four to five different variables, create scores, and we see how those things relate to each other. Um, and usually what I find for most people is they're not eating as regularly as they think they're eating they're often skipping meals in the face of having symptoms and what we know is skipping meals avoiding um, eating or massively reducing uh, portion size can have a big impact just on the the basic regulation of how our gut's working if we think about it like a you know a creature of habit it just wants to be trained when can i when can i expect food and then it will kind of establish a sense of regularity around that of course that's not the only factor but that's the biggest quick win that i find with most clients is just getting a bit more regulation in in their eating pattern and making it more regular and trying to stop skipping and avoiding foods when they're having symptoms reduce it down or find something that's going to be a bit more you know um, palatable whether that's yogurt and a dry piece of toast or whatever it might be but don't stop eating and over you know even within a week I find with some of my clients they see massive differences just on that basis and then we can work on other stuff so that would be my go-to first thing that I would suggest Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Um, you can really, you can, I can really imagine the associations we make because we're we're also hyper vigilant at mm. that time. And you um, have an IBS CBT group that you hold. Can you walk us through the the approach of your program and how that all works? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the first thing that we do even before this diary is um, go through some fundamental information I think about how the gut's working and how that interacts with our psychological experience so you know lots of people know some basics around you know gut function but I would say the majority of my well definitely the majority of the people that I work with haven't been told some fundamentals about what's going on in their bowels to underpin their IBS symptoms and why it's happening Um, and if we separate that question of why 
terms of you know the physical physiological kind of why what, what is actually going on in order to cause these symptoms rather than well what's causing the the physiological changes if that makes sense so just even understanding and being able to trace what's going on in your colon predominantly is your colon in IBS demystifies the symptoms a little bit and also then gives you a basis for increasing a sense of control because if we know the symptoms are happening for these reasons then we know some of the things that can influence those things just like you know regularity of eating we also introduce that concept of the brain gut access so how stress whether you know consciously oh my god i'm really stressed about this or just it's a stressful day but you're getting through it um can then impact on bowel function so so that would be the very first step that we would do in order to you know set the the basis and foundation for everything else then i see a lot or i see a lot of anger or frustration when they're told this is is ibs is in your head right so this is a psychological problem. Mm-hmm. That kind of phrase can be quite damaging. I, I completely agree. I think you're quite right. You know, there's in that sense, there's no such thing as in your head because the body is so interconnected with with thought processes, with emotional experiences and whatnot. But yeah, to really understand that uh, relationship is important, I think, for you to 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 get a sense that it's a really it is a really damaging thing to think oh well you know the message is it's all in my head so it's my fault so I just need to you know sort my head out sort myself out not you know not be so dramatic or whatever it is I've heard all different variations of this so it kind of puts the blame really on the person experiencing symptoms but it doesn't give any resolution because they've tried many different things to try and help with this and I guess in terms of like feeling a sense of safety it makes people feel very unsafe because it's like well I've now received this information that this is something that I'm causing I don't know how I'm causing it and I don't know how I can uncause it so am I just left with this forever and then you battle with your mind with your body and it feels even more unsafe and there's a sense that no one else can help me with this so just thinking about I keep using this word safe but I think that's a really helpful way to think about the way this plays out in the body if you no longer feel safe in your body then just inherently your central nervous system is picking up threat 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 and we you know me and my clients have many kind of discussions about this metacognitive process where you notice a thought oh my god I've got a symptom it's going to get worse stop saying that you're going to make it worse oh my god (laughs) I can't stop thinking about it I need to stop thinking about it and then layers and layers get piled on and this is really you know exacerbated by these messages of it's all in your head Um, so yeah I think just helping people and that's what this CBT for IBS program does so well helping people understand you know how the different parts are working and yeah what's going on in your body so it's it's not just you know quote unquote all in your head um, and there are different ways around working with this so yeah that that first step's really fundamental and that this program that i used was the one we developed for our large ran- randomized control trial which uh yeah assessed the efficacy of this program cbt for ibs remotely over six, 12 and 24 months. And we found that symptom severity significantly reduced. And those those um, 
results were maintained up to 24 months later. And the feedback that we got from participants in that trial was about the psychoeducation. One of the things that was most regularly talked about was that, you know, why wasn't I told this right when I got my diagnosis? I feel like things could have been a lot different. And the people in our trial were people who'd had IBS for like 10 plus years. And and they were um, in the, the category of refractory IBS. So they'd at least tried one first line IBS treatment, but I think the average age, I can't, uh, the average duration of symptoms was definitely above five years, might have been around eight to 10. I can't quite remember. So people had had it for a long time. And that's, you know, those were their reflections. Um, and uh, yeah, so I do think that's a real key foundation uh, in any CBT for IBS program. And from there, just to answer your, your question to begin with, we do then, you know, if that's our hypothesis, this is how it's all working. Let's collect some data specific to you. Let's see how these relationships are playing out. We use that then to inform a bit of a cycle. So we identify what are some of the key thoughts that come up when you're getting symptoms? What are the key responses that you've got to the symptoms? They might be like avoiding food, like I mentioned earlier. There might be uh, avoiding things more generally, which keeps anxiety going, which keeps symptoms going. There might be lots of safety behaviors like taking emodium preemptively, which we know further kind of dysregulates gut, uh, gut function. Um, so so we, we're trying to pick out all the, the different, you know, maintaining factors, thoughts, behaviors, and we lump in emotions with thoughts um, because the understanding is the two are interlinked and the two have a similar effect on uh, on the symptoms themselves. And then we pick our focal point to begin with, which is the behaviors. We make some changes, starting with regulating eating or reintroducing avoided foods um, or increasing particular things like if somebody's got constipation then it might be increasing fibrous foods or increasing water intake or something like that and then from there we start to tackle activity patterns so when we were talking about stress there we were talking about how people can be can often report not feeling stressed but actually their body's very stressed because they're always on the go and definitely that's something I see with people with IBS commonly they tend to be really able to just keep going and keep going and keep going and so that demands a lot of the body um, and so one of the goals that we have is about building in breaks uh, allowing themselves some more time just to recuperate that doesn't have to be sat on a couch watching Netflix it can be you know reading it can be spending you know enjoyable time with a loved one it can still be active quote unquote but it, it needs to be restorative. So it's not just all task oriented and, you know, responsibility oriented. And then, then we make a switch from the behavioral part of things to the cognitive. So looking at some of these thoughts, looking at how we respond to them, looking at um, our emotions as well and how we process those. Um, and yeah, we, we start to pull it all together. So yeah, it, it's kind of a multifaceted program, but it's, it starts off with the, the low-hanging fruit that can um, create some, some physical difference early on. Wow. And also just like massive congratulations for, you know, starting your program, doing a, doing a trial alongside it. That's no, and, and publishing your results. So that's no mean feat. Well, yeah, that, 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 just to clarify that program. So that was when I was doing my PhD. So I was doing that with with a large research group who were, were amazing. So I learned a lot from them and I've then since used the same program going into private practice. Yeah. 
but thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Because it's always it's always really it's it's always so much more robust when we've actually looked at these things. And what really stuck out to me is I read a paper recently about um, endometriosis, which I know that you actually work with as well. But it was just that it was it was it showed that there was um, a reduction by half in the pain scores of pelvic pain just by giving nutritional advice. Mm. It wasn't even whether that advice had been implemented, but actually being given something that someone can do, like to be able to get control of, you know, what is going on is so huge. And that's what I really sort of really hope to be supporting with like the witchy women platform and dr body mind soul is just really allowing people to learn and become more informed because feeling empowered within your own body and within the healthcare system is 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 more important i think than we even give it credit for it can have such a huge impact um on on the experience of our symptoms um pain being one that's been researched quite extensively yeah yeah there's a, um, a health psychology model called the illness perceptions model or um, the common sense model by Leventhal. And it posits that there's, I mean, the original was there was five main domains that have an impact on people's long-term conditions, outcomes um, or health outcomes. One of them being identity. So like the, the identity that we give the condition. So for example, if someone's got irritable bowel syndrome, they might then experience symptoms, really bowel symptoms and say that's part of my IBS, but they also might start lumping in other things like fatigue or, you know, if they feel nauseous one time and that gets lumped under, oh, it's my IBS. So it's it's kind of how people develop understanding of what their condition is, what falls under that. Then the other one is consequence. So what's the impact of me having this illness? What you know, how, how does that affect me? What does it get in the way of? What does it mean? One is uh, duration. So how long is this going to go on for? Is it going to go on forever? And one is uh, control or curability. And, and that's been separated into two. So, you know, own ability to control and kind of uh, treat, you know, doctors being able to um, provide uh, support. And so there's been lots of research looking at that illness perception questionnaire and what domains influence outcomes and you know similar to this endometriosis study we find that increased perceptions of control are associated with better health outcomes because it, it is such an important you know factor that's so interesting and I love that you bring research into support to support that answer I think that's I, I my desire is is to and I and I my wish is is that we as doctors are able to empower our patients more because it is so important. So yeah, I think both of both of us share that mission a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me um, on this episode. Um, I feel like I've learned so much. I think I've learned a bit more about what the role of a health psychologist actually is. And you've explained and articulated so many lovely um, concepts I'm going to really take away. So thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, 
book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.